coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Anti-Semitism is the only type of hatred that we know of in the world where the idea is you're not punching down, but you're punching up. Why did the Jews kill Jesus? And he goes, they didn't, the Romans did. It suddenly occurred to me, I was brought up thinking that the Jews did all that. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Welcome back to part two of Bill and Odell's riveting conversation about Israel with friend of the show, Rabbi Gutman. And here's Bill and Odell. Bill, I know you had something. Rabbi, do you think the Jewish people feel safe in America? Um, you know, I'm not sure right now. The amount of anti-Semitism in the United States now and anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th has gone up 400%. Wow. Just three days ago, there was a riot in a high school in uh, New York State because the kids had found out that a teacher had gone to the pro-Israel rally in D.C. on November 14th, and they ran through the halls trying to find that teacher. I don't know what they were going to do with, with her. The amount of anti-Semitism on college campuses or SWAT stickers, the amount, you know, of uh, uh, it's not only on the left wing, but it's on the right wing as well of neo-Nazis marching in front of, of synagogues. This is very serious stuff. And I can tell you this, that every Jewish institution and congregation has had to increase its budget for security dramatically, dramatically. I can't tell you what at Temple Emanuel we've done, but I don't know all of it, but I've seen some of it. But we have taken some significant steps to improve our security. I hope that, um, that I could say that American Jews feel safe in our country, but we are much more cautious, okay, about our securities, about our cameras, and other things, uh, it's very concerning where how this is happening. And again, I don't get it. You know, some of these pro-Palestinian, pro, by the way, I would say pro-Hamas rallies because I, I believe in peaceful coexistence with Palestinians. But these pro-Hamas rallies where people are, are basically pro-ISIS uh, rallies, they have turned violent. Okay, they have turned violent throughout our country. We have said to people, if you see to, you know, if there's a, a rally like this in our town or wherever, stay away because, you know, there's one guy that 
by a university professor. This was out in California, a 64-year-old man, took a megaphone, smacked him in the head. He fell down and died. He killed a 64-year-old man. So I think, you know, I think that, that we're encouraging Jews to stay away from those rallies. By contrast, okay, the rally in Washington, which I attended on November 14th, which, by the way, estimated attendance was was um, 280,000. And they estimate that, that some 320,000 people were looking at it online. By the way, that's an interesting figure, 280 plus 320, 600,000. That's the number of Jews, according to the Bible, that escaped Egypt. Hmm. Okay, 600,000 Jews. But at the rally, you know, there was speeches and moving moments. But there was not one bit of anger or violence towards anybody, towards, you know, whether they were Jewish, Christian, Arab. There wasn't any of that. Okay. And a person could have walked in there with a kafia, the Arab headdress, and nobody would have said anything. Yeah. They but, just, you know, it's interesting, Rabbi, because Odell Cleveland is a black Baptist preacher. Bill Goble is a white evangelical preacher. Rabbi Fred Gutman is a rabbi, Jewish tradition. We all, the three of us are so come from different places. Bill, what are your friends saying behind closed doors? Odell, what's your friend saying behind closed doors? Rabbi, what's your friend saying behind closed doors? Because it's very interesting when stuff like this happens, it's easy for everybody to go in their own corners. And it's like, uh, when this first happened, I commend Rabbi Andy and other leaders in the community to say, hey, we're going to have a community event. And Bill came. I came. I don't know how many black people were there at Temple. I don't know how many white people were there at Temple, because sometimes I still get confused between white person and Jewish person. I know the difference, but I'm just saying you see a black, good looking black man. You see me coming. But, you know, I don't know if a white guy is a Jewish guy. Or, you know, so, Fred, Rabbi, help us understand how did the Jewish community feel about their black brothers and sisters, their white brothers and sisters, because a lot of times it's very easy for all of us to say all of the black people a certain way, all of the white evangelicals a certain way, all the Jewish people a certain way. And it's so hard to find that common ground. And something you told me years ago when we were traveling to Israel, you said, Odell, we're building relationship and bridges now. So when something happens, it's already built. And I remember you teaching me that years ago, sir. And thank you for teaching me that. Yeah. No, I think we have to be very careful not to paint the other with a broad brush. Okay. You know, in the South, people always think that the African-American community is a monolithic community. That is the biggest fallacy in the world. Other than Jews, the only people I know of that argue more amongst themselves are the African-Americans. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to tell the truth as I see it, you know. <laughs> Someone says, well, what about this Jew who is pro-Hamas or pro-Palestinian? I say, well, that probably speaks well of us. You know, we mm -hmm. we have people that disagree. They are a very small minority, but we don't kill them. Wow. Okay, we don't kill them. Wow. <laughs> and a lot of times they're sitting with us at our Thanksgiving dinner, which I call the annual American turkey sacrifice. Okay. <laughs> 
Like my kid in 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 uh, preschool was taught a song, something about, "Aren't you glad you're not a turkey on this uh, on this Thanksgiving day?" Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am. Okay, and people tend to paint a broad brush with evangelicals too. Okay, and I'll tell you how that that's in general, and the Jewish community does too, because. You know, a lot of the fear in the Jewish community is that evangelicals are just being nice to us in order that we might convert in the future. Wow. Wow. And, and that's not true. I mean, there are people like that in the evangelical community, but that that's just not true. Now, the first trip that we went on together, I picked up a phone. I think I told you this one. And called Pastor Jake Thornhill who I had never met, but who, in my mind, for whatever reason, in 2008, was one of the more prominent evangelical pastors. You know, he's got this big thing out on High Point Road at the school and a mm -hmm. nice church, and I haven't seen him in many years, but I, I've always considered him to be a friend, and I met with him, and I said, you know, Jake, we probably disagree on a lot, but I'd love for you to go with me on my trip. Okay, and he did, and he did. So I think that that this is a very important thing. Now, when it comes to Jews, this will surprise you. When I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, there were white people, there were black people, and there were Jews. Mm. Now, Jews of my generation did not grow up thinking they were white. Really? And that's, now, maybe my grandchildren do. Wow. And we have been the beneficiaries of a certain amount of white privilege. But on the other hand, when I was growing up at my high school, I would eat lunch with people, including a guy who became a United States Senator, Bill Frist, who was very nice. We once had a debate in 1968 as to whether or not one should vote for Richard Nixon or Robert RFK. He hadn't died yet. He hadn't been assassinated Bill was a good guy. When he was in the Senate, we reconnected. He was, you know, he was, he was a previous uh, majority leader, and I liked Bill. But the interesting thing about the school that I went to, and this was not Bill's fault by any any means, was that at lunch we'd all eat together and have a good time. When it came to the weekend, zero. Mm. There was no social interaction between Jews and white people on the weekend. The only place where there was was in the arts, music or the, but socially, there was a tremendous segregation. Now, this, my friends, is one of the things that the current ambassador dealing with anti-Semitism, Deborah Lipstadt, has pointed out in her book, that makes anti-Semitism somewhat different. Because most types of hatred and bigotry are designed to keep the people down. Okay, I, I want to keep the immigrants down. I want to keep the African-Americans down. Stay in your place, blah, 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 blah. Okay, anti-Semitism is the only type of hatred that we know of in the world where the idea is you're not punching down, but you're punching up mm. because you perceive, and most times this is not true, you perceive that Jews are in charge of the newspapers. You perceive that Jews are in charge of Hollywood. By the way, Jews did well in Hollywood because that was one of the few places, again, I mentioned the arts, where there was no um, 
Restrict yes. no prejudice again. By the way, you know, a lot of the Christmas songs that you people sing were written by Jewish folk. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. You know who wrote that? Irvin Berlin. Good Jewish guy. You know? A lot of maybe not in your church, Odell. I, you know, you probably have some, but a lot of the Christmas music that I mean, I'm talking about Bill, 10 or 15 songs, well-known songs. They're all written by Jews. Go figure. Okay. I you know. You know, Rabbi, you bring- White Christmas in Greensboro, North Carolina. I don't know. It's my biggest dream, especially now with all, as we would say in the ha- South, all hail breaking loose in the, in uh, Israel and Gaza. I don't think White Christmas is my biggest dream, but anti-Semitism is punching up and trying to bring the Jews down. And by the way, this was part of the Nazis' ideology. The Nazis felt that the Jews controlled the banks and the businesses and the theater and everything like that, and they needed to be brought down because they were polluting the purity of Aryan society. Wow. You know, I think part of our solution, at least for me, it was going on the interfaith trip to Israel that Odell invited me to. It changed my entire lens because I grew up in an all-white community. There were no Jews. They all lived on the east side of Cleveland. Not many blacks either, Rabbi. Not many blacks. I think it was one. Yeah, we imported one for a day and uh, then we we took it out of town. But, you know, my point is that I never grew up knowing Jewish people until I started working and then I would meet them. And you were right. We would not socialize. Okay. And it wasn't until I met Mark Talsman at uh, working for Charlie Vanek that I started socializing with him. And I knew the Jewish culture, you know, I was brought up Roman Catholic. So, you know, it's interesting to my Jed Corman worked for me when I came down here. He was Jewish and his first Jewish person that ever worked for me. So I got to know Jed really well. And so we were out having a beer and I said, Jed, why did the Jews kill Jesus? And he goes, they didn't. The Romans did. It suddenly occurred to me. I was brought up thinking that the Jews did all that. And it was the Romans. And it started changing my lens and saying, man, what else have I missed? What else have I, that I don't understand? What else can I learn from Jed? And so when I went on the culture trip, it really, really opened my eyes, you know, in meeting Ron and Victoria and the whole team that went there, the rabbis, Marilyn and Dory and I both just became embedded with the Jewish community in Greensboro. We just love it. And, you know, we do the with Lenny Samet, we do the thing before Shabbat, you know, it's, we affectionately call it smoking Jews and one Gentile. We have fun with that. And uh, I just feel more than a fellowship. I feel family when I'm around you folks. And Odell, I know I said you folks, but I, I feel family. I'm looking at two family members. I'm not looking at a Jew and a black man. I'm looking at family members. And Odell, maybe we have another brother. <laughs> we do. Me and him, we've been rolling for a while. But I think to point of what Bill said, and I'm going to give Bill back the mic, we could very easily get offended about anything. He said, you folks or you people, leave that alone. Leave that alone. Allow us space with a big reverse gear that if we say the wrong thing or something like that, that's okay. We're going the right way, even though we may strip the gears or, you know, trying to adjust the gears and the stick shift and you hear some grinding because Bill is a good brother. Bill is a good brother. And what our relationship has done, Rabbi, just like mine and yours, 
is give each other space to work through our own bias, prejudice, and stereotypes, because a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. So yes, Bill Gobo is another brother from another mother, and he's just good people. And he didn't understand a lot of it, and I didn't understand a lot, and you didn't understand a lot. But Rabbi, you put these trips together, though. You are the one who convinced leaders to say, hey, guys, come to Israel, and we're going to go to River Jordan, where you all believe, you know, baptize, and we don't, but we're still going to celebrate what you believe. And I thought that was so powerful instead of let's argue over what we don't believe. Yeah. You know what? I have to tell you that as a Jew, the most meaningful Christian site in the Holy Land is the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Now, let me tell you why. Okay. Because it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Bill, and Bill, before I do that, I just want to say, I think, you know, if you look in the Gospels and you read them very carefully, it's clear that, that the Romans had killed Jesus. Okay. I mean, from the titular king of the Jews above his head. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, I assume they took you there, Bill. I know I've been there with Odell twice. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, you've got these old, old olive trees. Yeah. Okay. And the old olive trees are interesting because down at the bottom, there's shoots coming out, okay? And it, what is it, Isaiah 2, the, the shoot will come forth from the stock of Jesse or something like that. And the interesting thing about that is that those olive trees, they grow and they rot out as they get older, but the shoot comes up, okay? Now, what that means, if you think about it, is that the organism doesn't die, just a part of the organism. So a tree grows up and rots out, and then a new tree grows up, but it's still the same organism. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, one time I was teaching this, and I think it was Sid Batts, Reverend Batts said, Fred, do you realize what you just taught? He said, we're walking through this garden with the great-great-grandsons and granddaughters, I guess if trees are gender-specific, of the trees among which Jesus walked 2,000 years ago. And I said, I think it's very interesting that 2,000 years ago that there was a Jew who was walking around among these trees, okay, trying to figure out what was going on in a screwed-up world. Okay, and to me, it's the most spiritual of of all the Christian sites in the land. It shows us that despite whatever is going on right now, that there is the possibility of the shoot coming out. Okay, to reinvigorate the world as it should be. Jewish tradition talks about the heavenly Jerusalem and the earthly Jerusalem. And in my speeches at the Moral Monday uh, rallies in Raleigh, I used to use say, you know, there's a, there's a spiritual Greensboro, spiritual Raleigh, spiritual North Carolina, and then there's the North Carolina the way it is. And our responsibility is to work together, okay, to bring the earthly up to the heavenly. Mm. And the heavenly Jerusalem or the heavenly North Carolina is what our potential can be. 
Now, in 1996, I don't think you won't know this story, Odell. There was the the school board had to sue the county commissioners because they didn't have enough money. Hmm. And I was walking around the hospital visiting folks, and and a, a guy, one of the administrators came from the hospital, came up to me and said, "Are you the rabbi?" I said, "Yes, I'd only been here a year and a half." He said, well, we just interviewed a guy that said he wasn't coming here because of what of the school board and the county commissioners. He said the education system seems to be terrible here. And the only option for his kids is to put his three kids in private school. He's going to go someplace else. It was at that time that I called up Bishop Brooks. Hmm. Okay. And I called up Howard Chubbs. And I called up Sid Bats. I think Sid Bats was here. The guy from um, Holy Trinity, First Baptist. We had six ministers who met in First Baptist Church. Sorry, five ministers and one crotchety Jewish rabbi. <laughs> By the way, that never makes sense to me, Jewish rabbi. I never met a rabbi who wasn't Jewish. Okay. You know, you ever met an Irish one? You know, the chief rabbi of Ireland is still Jewish. Okay. But, but anyway, and we met, and then we said, this has got to stop. This is hurting our children and hurting our communities. And then the next thing you did, they, they did was we had a meeting at First Baptist where 66 clergy came, and we laid out the situation before them. And we said, here's a list of the uh, people on the county commissioners and on the school board. And we have to get them together. We have to get them together. Whose congregation is this person in? And this minister said, he's in my congregation. Okay. And we said to him, you got to call him up and put some muscle on him. Okay. Go see him. Okay. And I'll remember this. I told this to Louise Chubbs recently, about two weeks ago, because I ran into it. And Howard Chubbs, of blessed memory, you know, he had this really low voice. He's your friend. In our community, we don't do it that way. He said, <laughs> Howard, what are, you, what are you talking about? He says, well, Bishop Brooks and I, George and I, are calling the African-American members of the uh, county commissioners and the school board into my office. We are summoning them. Mm. And they will come because if they don't, they will have to face the wrath of God. <laughs> okay. Whoa. Now, the white people, we went and visited, okay, <laughs> you know, and called them on the phone. Chubbs and Brooks summoned them <laughs> and put the muscle on them. And that was, along with Jim Melvin's uh, influence, that was one of the reasons I got solved. Now, in terms of my worldview, okay, that shows that two things. Number one is that religious people have a lot of power. They rarely use it. They rarely use it, but they have a lot of power in the South and in this community. Okay, the number of people that that attend religious institutions is still pretty high. It might not be as high as it used to be, but but it's. And the thing is, we have to find the way to work together. Yes, right. And that's on the microcosm is Greensboro, but on our world that we're going to live our leave our children and grandchildren. World has to find a way to come together. What what Odell is the um, famous Martin Luther King line about people perishing? 
Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. What is it? It's, it's one of those situations where we hang together or hang separately, yeah. you know, from that perspective. And it's interesting. You mentioned Bishop Brooks in two weeks and I'll be sending you an invitation. We're going to be naming one of the streets here, Bishop George W. Brooks Drive and big ceremony. A thousand so people are going to be here. So it's going to be a big deal. A big deal. I'm hoping I'm in town. I'd love to come and tell jokes about him. <laughs> Bill, as we move toward close, this has been such from Gaza to just the whole idea, because we're all just people. And if we say Odell's black, so all black people are this, or Bill's white, all white people, Fred Jewish, all Jewish people, we have to get away from that. And Rabbi Gottman, I appreciate By you. By the way, it's more than that. We have to say all Arabs are not Hamas. Amen. 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 Go ahead. I'm sorry, Odell. No, no, no. You, you said it, Bill. Well, you know, the rabbi is my favorite Eagle Scout. And, uh, you know, when I was in, we did the World Jamboree up in the summit. We have 34 different religions represented. And we're all under one big tent. And they have all a booth. And the Jews are next to the Muslims or next to the Hindus next to all the other congregations. And every morning they would get together and hold hands around that tent and pray for the safety of scouting and scouts. And there was no issue with uh, any politics or any dislike. We were all focused on duty to God, duty to country, service to others, and then worry about yourself. And Rabbi Gutman, you've been doing that your whole life. But you're right, Bill. And Rabbi Bill Odell, what do we do when, yes, we we learn a lot of things on grandma's porch, all white people, because one time in my life, I hated white people because of uh, all the issues doing segregation in South Carolina, Charleston, integration, all that kind of stuff. But what do you do when you come to the realization that your bias, your prejudice, what Uncle Bobo told you is wrong? How do we deal with when we come to our own realization that a lot of what we said is not accurate? How does one deal with that, Rabbi? Okay. So when my daughter was in the eighth grade, we began to realize, she's 40 years old now, by the way, that she was gay. Okay. And she is a very pretty woman. I thought, I, it never occurred to me. I mean, she athletic all these things. And what I found out, and at first we thought, well, maybe it's just a phase, but you know, now, now she's married to a woman and she, she has uh, two, I call them bruiser boys. Uh, my grandson that loves soccer and soccer t-shirts is one of them. And then she's got a three-year-old son, my other grandson, who, despite the fact that he's half the age of, of his brother, attacks him all the time. You know, it's like they let, they love to wrestle, or as we say in the South, wrestle. Okay. <laughs> and they are just the cutest boys, and I love them so much. But I'll tell you this I could have never thought that my daughter's life would turn out to be the way it has. And it's just beautiful, beautiful. You know, she is a manager for McKinsey Consulting of uh, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion for the continent of Europe. Wow. OK, she's got a big, big job and I love her dearly. and I love her family. and I love her, her spouse. But you know what? What changes from our innate prejudices when we start looking at the person that we are prejudiced against as a member of our family? 
you know? So I don't know exactly how I felt about gay people before I realized my daughter was gay. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. But I know how I feel about them now. Mm. And I know that when the idiotic North Carolina government was trying to pass Amendment 1 and, and the HB2 bill, I was very vocal against it. I was one of the most vocal, probably the most vocal rabbi in the state against it. Mm-hmm. But I also know something else, okay? That our relationship, Odell, is one that's motivated me to not only view you as a brother, but to say when you hurt, okay, I hurt. And when you feel a sense of a family, and by the way, that's what Jewish people are feeling right now, that when one Jew is is hurting, that we're all hurting. When you view people as members of your, your family, you can't help but lose your prejudice and replace it with your love. Mm. And you can't help but lose your bigotry and replace it with compassion and justice. And that's a very key thing. I'll give you an example, okay? It's still the same. Cone Hospital did research on on the number of people. Maybe now with Medicaid expansion will be the number of people that were coming to the emergency room according to to you and I've talked about this too, and you've been active in this, according to zip codes. Okay. And we found a tremendous difference between the number of people that were coming to the emergency room from some particular zip codes. I think it was 09 or something. I don't remember the or 07 and others. Okay. So I live in 27410 and there are not a lot of people going there. Right. And why is that? Because we have medical care. Yeah. But from the poor areas, people are taking their kids with asthma, flu, pneumonia. Okay. And that sort of, and by the way, most of them are African-Americans and all of them are poor. Okay. They don't have the means that the, the three of us have. Now, that system has been going on in our county now for more than 50 years, okay? And right now, if we want to talk about what we need to work on locally, and I know that you tried, uh, Odell, to get uh, clinics moved out into certain areas of town. It's healthcare equity, okay? And because the moment that, that we say, my brothers in this zip code don't have healthcare, you know, and by the way, a lot of that had to do with Medicaid expansion. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of it did. It's not just African American, but seven rural hospitals closed here in North Carolina because of the lack of Medicaid expan- expansion. So if I'm a white guy living in uh, rural North Carolina and have a heart attack, I might, it might be 40 minutes before I get to an emergency room. By that time, I'm probably dead. You know, so the idea is not only voting rights, but healthcare equity all across the state. This is something that, that is a social justice issue that we're not hearing enough about. I'm hopeful that in the next elections that people will, will talk about this more because it is a civil rights issue. And it is an issue that when I see that child, my, my granddaughter in Atlanta, 
was in the hospital for eight days because of RSV virus. Okay. Her life wasn't threatened, but she was seven days in an ICU. Okay. So we have to say, you know, if we truly believe in what the Bible says that we're all created in God's image, then we also have to be able to see, see the image of God in the evangelical, in the African-American, and in the Jew, in the Muslim, the Hindu, the Arab, whatever. And if we can do that, both locally and in, nationally and internationally, then we will start moving the world from as it is, the earthly, into the world as it should be, the heavenly. You know what? And Bill, one thing I learned from a white evangelical pastor who happened to be a Republican congressman, Congressman Walk Walker, was it's hard to hate up close. And I, I've learned that I try I try to learn from I don't agree with everything he says or does. I'm sure he doesn't agree with everything I say or do. But I try to always eat the fish and spit out the bones or as I say, white people say, eat the fruit and spit out the seeds. But, Bill, your comment. And then we're going to ask Rabbi to close us out in a prayer for peace or prayer for all of our audience. Bill. Well, Rabbi, this has been wonderful. I think uh we're going to have you on as a guest again. I think we can go talk a lot about social I'm justice. Listening, I'm listening. A lot okay. about social di- justice because that is something that is near and dear to my heart. And I look at, uh, you know, just what happened this past week with the cafeteria workers at Guilford County. They walked out because they're making $15 an hour. You can't live on $15 an hour. They're feeding people's kids. And those parents are making more money than they are, and they don't have enough money to feed their own kids. Wow. That's social justice, injustice. And we got to fix that. And, you know, people say, well, you're spending too much money at the top of the school board or this or that. We've underfunded schools for about 50 years. As I got on the school board, as a businessman, you look at things as a business and you go, are we funding things right? for expansion of warehousing or manufacturing or sales and marketing. You know, I look at it from a business standpoint. I took a look at it as business and I said, holy cow, we're driving people into poverty. We are underfunding our schools. Our schools are erect. Their average age is 60 years old. We have 12 million square feet of roofs. We got two roofers. We're in pain of 15 bucks an hour. That's crazy. So how do we fix it? How do we fix it? I don't think raising our taxes is the answer. I think the answer is what Raleigh's been doing is taking money to generate a business to come in, which I totally agree is a good idea. But we now need to shift some of that into the education. I was told Toyota's management went and came to our schools and looked at them and said, this will not do. This is unacceptable. We can't bring executives here and put them in public school. Hmm. And if you look at our schools, the average age is 62 years old. What the heck are we thinking? That is crazy. I don't have anything that I own that is 62 years old except me. (laughs) And at that age, Bill, we can't sleep through the night without having to get up to urinate. Oh, I'll tell you what. So we are really old. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we don't want to start talking about getting up in the middle of the night going and peeing, but Phil, finish your statement, then Rabbi, close us out in the prayer, sir. I'm done. I think we can have a whole nother discussion. i tell you what I've been thinking of doing. I'm going to talk to Whitney Oakley, the superintendent. I'd like to do a march from Greensboro to Raleigh with anybody that wants to join us from every school system that we go through 
maybe with a covered wagon and mules and walk to Raleigh and demand that they fund our schools properly. You know, by the way, during the McCrory administration, we were 49th in teacher pay. At one time under Hunt, we had been 23rd in the nation. So we dropped down to 49th. But there was a good thing in that because at least we weren't 50th. (laughs) Who was that, South Carolina, Mississippi? Mississippi was 50th. So everybody could go around and say, yeah, at least we're not Mississippi. Rabbi, we're not Mississippi, but we love our Mississippi brothers and sisters. Do you mind closing us out in prayer okay. with every I have a prayer tradition. I want to read to you today. That I just got up and pulled it off my shelf. This is, yes, this, is, this is the most profound prayer, one of the more profound prayers I've ever seen. Okay? So here it is. Oh, God, you have called us to peace, for you are peace itself. May we have the vision to see that each of us in some measure can help to realize these aims. Where there are ignorance and superstition, let there be enlightenment and knowledge. Where there are prejudice and hatred, let there be acceptance and love. Where there are fear and suspicion, let there be confidence and trust. Where there are tyranny and oppression, let there be freedom and justice. Where there are poverty and disease, let there be prosperity and health. Where there are strife and discord, let there be harmony and peace. Amen. Amen. Guys, love you both. So you can both tell your wives, the good-looking black guy said he loves you. So we're going to go with that. Yes. And regards to Bev, too. All right. Thank you. Y'all be good. Guys, it's good to see you. And I hope I haven't embarrassed you. (laughs) Listen, you, you, we love your true voice because leaders have to speak out. You know, we all have to speak out. Guys, you all have a blessed day. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. Okay. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events, Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.